you are listening to a production of the Toe Network. This is Laser Knees number 97, which includes an extended Forza reference. Uh, I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono, and this is Dino Knight Sentai Ryu Soldier, episode 21, The Dino Knights of Light and Darkness, and episode 22, The Lives of the Dead. Our writer for both is Yamaoka Junpei, our director for both is Katohiro Iki. Like, look, I'm not here to, to slag on Yamaoka Junpei in the slightest. The dude is very good. Kato Hiroyuki does some work in these episodes. Yes. I mean, I will give Yamaoka credit where it's due. These are very emotional episodes. Oh, yeah. But man, there is some really gorgeous visual direction, except for at the very end, I think, when Master Pink throws Oz into the sword, and there's these three weird, quick cuts around her. Uh, I kind of like that. I like. I feel like they were they were trying to really highlight the impact of the moment, but it just, it felt it was three very quick jump cuts and felt very strange because she's talking. It's like as her sent in. It's over the course of one sentence, mm. and it just it felt very jarring. That's, I appreciate yeah, what they were going for, but it didn't quite work for me. But everything else was amazing. Uh, so, do we have any, like, I don't really have any big thoughts on these episodes, except, you know, good. Continues the thing where, uh, where this Sentai is one of the best ones in a very long time. Yes. Uh, I don't, I don't really think I have a big overall thing to address. Uh, just a lot of good lore. Yeah. A lot of good lore. Honestly, one thing I have to give this show they do lore dumps so good that I'm I'm always looking forward to more when so often a lore thing is just uh oh, it's just it drags, it's terrible. Yeah, it always, but not on this show. The lore is always either relevant or interesting. Yeah. Like there's and you, there's you some wouldn't think lore, that would be such a big ask. There's some lore that's dropped that's dropped in like jokey moments, and I'll get to it because I thought it was great, but like it's not quite relevant to this scene, but it it explains some things that we already knew and is just really interesting and funny. Well, then, in the interest of getting to that as soon as possible, let's just get through the bad stuff because there's not much. But you know, there were some things throughout here that were suboptimal. More more nitpicks than problems, honestly. Yeah. I do love that we parallel Ui's mom with Master Pink and kind of have both of our girls dealing with these major losses, because uh, I'm 100% here for this mom-centric content. Y'all <laughs> y'all know me. But I am a little confused because Ui's mom seemed to just walk back into the show as if she'd been there the whole time and had never been gone. Uh, while Master Pink just seemed very aware that she was dead, and now she isn't. And not to jump right ahead to the big twist to the episodes, but that's exactly what I'm gonna do. Because the only reason I can think of to explain it is like, oh, well, it's Master Pink's Minosaur, so maybe she's more aware that she was dead, where everyone else is just kind of coming back and maybe doesn't, but they never really establish that as a reason, and that reveal isn't even until, like, halfway into 22, so it, like, it's not a, it doesn't make or break anything, honestly, but it just felt very strange. Yeah, but 
I mean, you ain't wrong. It was a really weird way to do things. Like, we could find ways to paper over it, but, I mean, it's just real weird. End of the day. Yeah. Uh, once again, just big, heavy sighs in Conalo's general direction as he's hitting on Master Pink. I mean, even if this time it was used kind of to advance the plot on Master Pink's part and the Sailor Moon joke was pretty funny. Look, even I was glad for it. Like, I'm not even going to pretend I I could appreciate it fully, but I recognize it. Like, hey, hey, that's a Sailor Moon joke. That's very good, you guys. Yeah, like, I I appreciated that, but, like, Conalo is so interesting when he's doing literally anything other than trying to find a girlfriend. Yeah. But trying to find a girlfriend is the only thing they let him spend any time on. Yeah. Like, just the whole scene where she, like, steals the darkness soul from him and Conalo is what I'm going to generously call misinterpreting the situation was uncomfortable. Cause this it's a very is a nice show way to put for it. Eight-year-olds, maybe maybe <laughs> dial it back a little bit. It's just yeah. I'm just like, why are we doing this? Yeah, I I don't know either. And okay, we were just saying nice things about the writer and the director, but guys, <laughs> come on. Especially since like it, for me, it keeps coming down to that Conalo needs a second personality trait. Or okay, okay. In fairness, he also does some very good pratfalls, which I guess is a second personality trait, so he needs a third trait. Or some kind of interiority that isn't, girl pretty, marry me! Because for all I would totally understand if folks wanted to call me out for commenting on how attractive this or that character or actor in this show is, uh, I am of course referring to Bonba, who is very attractive! superhuman charisma man he's amazing but like look at least i have the excuse of being a cartoonish buffoonish human being who actually exists as opposed to conalo who who being a fictional character has to create the illusion of being a three-dimensional person because like look no matter how eager for a date someone might be nobody healthy is this kind of 100 percent focused or if they are like you know they shouldn't be I am way too ADHD to dream of being that kind of focused on a single goal, but, like, there are many good goals in the universe. That's, like, that's a good goal, but that's not a devote your life to it when you're 300 years old goal. It's it's just very strange because he'll be, like, focused on actual important things, and then a lady will show up and he will just drop everything. And I'm like, no, no, baby. Yeah, it's like, it's like please pay attention to the plot. It's the thing in every in every like hacky spy movie where there's like the lady spy and she's going to use her feminine wiles. And I'm just like, "Hey, you know what evil organization? I can't take you seriously now. Why? None of your henchmen are anything like professional. If you paid them better or impressed upon them the importance of what they're doing, maybe every time like a pretty lady walks by, they wouldn't be like, well, sure, let's go make out in the in the bathroom. That's not a, a really stupid thing to do. <laughs> hey, what up? I'm a prison guard. I'm keeping Magneto in check. Oh, hey, there's a pretty girl. Let's go make out. 
what I'm saying is Conalo just needs a lesson in professionalism that I feel like, honestly, any of the main... Any of the other Ryu soldiers could give him if only he would listen. Literally any of them. Which is sad because, like, Toa should not be able to give him that talk. No, but look, Toa is at least dedicated enough. Like, he found out it, in previous episodes, he, he like, he had a confrontation with Geysorg, and he grew as a person, and it was very unreal, and it was amazing. Like, he is a tiny disaster boy. Like, him and Ko should not be yeah. able to give Kanalo that talk, but they both could. Yeah, they could. I wish they would. Honestly, I feel like Oto could give him that. Because, like, okay, so his sister... Again, there's there's some weird stuff that goes on in some of those episodes. We're not going to get into it, but mm, not a fan. But even she should be able to be like, okay, look, I realize that this is a thing you want to do and why we sent you up here, but frankly, there are larger concerns at hand. I mean, she at least seems to realize, like, hmm, this is maybe not the time for me to be, like, acting on my crush on Melf. I should maybe, like, save that for later. Yeah. Hey, you know what? It doesn't matter if you get married, if the world's over. Where are you gonna be married at if there's no planet and everyone's dead? You're not married then, are you? Anyway, let's yeah, so let's move on from this. I just... So I'm unprofessional. I'm not sure why float all of the gas out of the city was responded to with but I can just make more when put all of the gas in a black hole was treated as if that permanently solved the problem when Tankjo could still just make more. Like that plan technically didn't solve it any better than the previous plan. They're essentially the same plan. I honestly, I'm guessing it's just a thing where the writer's room were just not wanting to get into the, the one-upsmanship imagination. You know, the bit like, okay, well, I turn you to ice. Yeah, but I'm wearing ice-proof uh, belt, a force field. Okay, well, I have a force field destroying acid, etc. And they just... Instead, they were just like, uh, okay, cool. Black holes are cool? Yeah, we like black holes. We're done now. I feel like they try to explain it with, like, oh, the black hole will continue to target it. But the black hole, like, goes away. So it doesn't feel like, why can't you just wait till the black hole goes away and then make more? Mm. Yeah, I, mm. it's a very good question. Uh, so, so in 22, Seto says that it's a Minosaur doing the life-switching. And the episode does play out in such a way that it is a Minosaur doing the life-switching. But back in 21, Moserex is like, Hey, these two dinosaurs from space are bringing people back from the dead. And blame it on Shine Raptor and Shadow Raptor. And like, hey buddy. Rude. Yeah. No, it is. Uh, like, look. I'm I'm on record as being kind of a fan of Moserex, but my favorite Mosasaur does have a pretty decent history of being at least kind of misinformed and misguided about how things are going outside of his little kingdom. So I just sort of took it at, at that. Yeah, I mean, but they, we will get to this, they are kind of ridiculously overpowered, 
So I yeah, guess it's bonkers. I guess maybe that's a reasonable thing to assume that at least Shine Raptor would be able to do. Yeah, I mean it's at the very least it's well this is close. This is about life and death. I know guys who do that. It must be their fault. But I just I felt bad for them because I'm like most Rex they didn't do it. But you know. Uh, I can at least see where he's coming from, even though, yeah, he has been wrong fairly often. I mean, I know it, it did come right on the heels of Shadow Raptor trying to kick his, like, human son's butt. It was pretty great. I guess maybe, but yeah. maybe Shadow Raptor didn't want Kanalo hitting on his wife. Yeah, I think, I think that makes sense. I mean, like, Shine Raptor's a lady. Yep. And I'm gonna assume they're married, because I want that. I just assumed they were siblings, but you know what? Both are good. Um, okay, so this this Minosaur doesn't seem to have been created by Koreon, because, you know, Master Pink was already dead. So I don't know how that would have worked. I think it's just a natural Minosaur present in her lingering grief. Um, Something like that, yeah. But Tankjo, which again, very, very interesting, weird ways we're creating Minosaurs that I love. I love... Yeah, I like the idea that Minosaurs can just come from your soul after you're dead. Like, I love all these weird Minosaurs. But Tankjo acts like he's got some kind of plan when it comes to switching the living and the dead. And he refers to the living several times as sacrifices. And, like, I'm not sure what the plan is. Yeah, you're not alone there. Like, they, they comment in 21 that initially it's causing, like, fish and livestock to disappear. So I guess if you're trading, like, food sources in exchange for people, you'll get food shortages. But that's not, that's not the plan. I just made that up. Mm. Tank Joe's just like, it'll cause chaos. And I'm not really sure how that'll cause chaos. Like, it'll be kind of confusing, and it's definitely evil because you are murdering living people, but you're not technically reducing the population of humans. In fact, if you're trading them for fish and livestock, you're increasing the population of humans. So I'm not sure how this plays into the larger Druidon goals. Yeah, no, because they, like, they had, if they had a bit where Tonkjo would be like, yes, we're going to control the Minosaur, and we will selectively do the switching and whatnot, like, I think we could talk then about a plan, but they just seem to be using the fact that they know how to jump back and forth between the, the worlds of the dead and the living, which, I mean, look, it's not nothing, it's not unimpressive, but it is just kind of weird that their plan seems almost entirely unrelated to the actual mechanics at play here. Yeah, like, if they were gonna be like, okay, well, we'll switch the humans for the Minosaurs that have already been killed. Yeah! Like, that's a good plan, but that was not the plan at all. They never even tried that. No, I, or or if there, if the plan had been, okay, we will kill all of the fish and make it so there's more humans... And all of those humans will starve to death and die. And it's like, okay, so eventually 
all of the humans will be dead. So then you just you switch everything back and bring back all the fish and and grass and stuff, and then you'll have the per you know Earth will be clean of humans and you can just come and live. But that's not the plan they say they have. Yeah, none of this is the plan. So I don't really know what they were aiming for here. I'm also a yeah, little bummed that Asuna was not someone using Shine, Shadow, or the combined Cosmo Raptor, and that Shine and Shadow kind of defaulted to Ko and Kanalo, and that Cosmo Raptor was a Ko only robot form. Because this is Asuna's arc, and both of them already have an upgrade. Like, at least give her one of them. Right? Because, like, they even talk about how Dime Volcano doesn't have to be just for Ko. So, like, at least give her Dime Volcano. Or, again, let her hold the power of the cosmos in her hands. Dang it, she's she'd be good at it. Yeah. Like, I, it just felt super weird. Like, I know that Conalo got Shadow Raptor at the beginning of 21, but when he pulls it out in 22, I'd, like, forgotten that he had it. Which, you know, easy to do. I was I was very surprised when he busted it out myself. I'm like, what? Oh, right! Like, as much as I really love that whole bit of Asuna getting to use her master's sword to take out the huge threat that is Tank Joe with this really awesome like, team attack that is, again, very reminiscent of the end of the first arc of Sailor Moon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Asuna's arc. Give her the upgrade. Let her be part of that robot fight. Yeah. She's like, I mean, look, she's already our favorite, so give her the power of keeping the balance between life and death, the way she must always work to keep the right balance between knowing just how hard to hold someone's hand, even though with a muscle twitch, she could shatter their bones into powder. Which, you like, know, she kind of does to her dead mentor at the beginning. Yeah, so... She kind of almost re-kills her. Yeah. So, like, she already is a master of balance. Let her do that. Poor Asuna. Okay, so, one last thing. Um, Uli mastering her mom's recipe and holding on to that as a way to keep the mother she lost at a young age in her heart is the absolute sweetest thing on the face of the earth, and nothing will ever change that. But are y'all really gonna tell me that no one in this house has ever heard of the concept of caramelizing onions? Like, really? Like, the most basic cooking thing? Really, none of you have ever... Yeah. You don't understand that. Not to tell tales out of school. You are... We've just... We're talking off mic about... Well, off recording. About how you are not a fan of onions, to put it mildly. I physically cannot eat onions. Yeah. And even you know about caramelizing onions. Yeah, and like, I, I feel like looking at it, I feel like caramelizing onions might have been some kind of localization that Overtime did. Mm. Because there was something else going on in that pan. It, it definitely did like look more than that. Like, there's an ingredient that she used that they're just like, we don't want to make a translator's note about this, mm. so we're just going to do this. But I don't know, because I'm not, I don't know the language well enough to make that call. So I'm going to assume that that was a proper translation, and 
if any of y'all know it was not and can give me properly what was going on there, please do. But I refuse to believe that no one in that house has ever, like, put onions in a pan before. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, even if we wanted to say, ah, yeah, well, we never thought about putting them in the Hamburg steak, I I guess that's something, but I don't know. It's just, it, it is a weird thing that feels like most recipes for Hamburg steak would mention. It's, it's, I don't know. Okay, little, little side tangent. My partner's meat sauce recipe for, for like pasta, so it's a bolognese sort of sauce, involves mushroom soy sauce, which I've never had anyone else put in, in a meat sauce. So like that, if it was something like that, where it's, oh, hey, here's an extra weird thing you put off to the side, you can add that to your mix and hey, that'll make it taste extra good. And that's why it's mom's. And we just didn't know what the secret ingredient was because who would have thought of putting, again, in this instance, soy sauce into a meat sauce. Like, it, yeah. you know, a fake Italian meat sauce, right? Like, I was wondering if it was maybe, like, miso or something, but I don't know. Because mm. I don't know the language well enough to make that call, and I'd have to, like, really go back and listen to it. But, one, if that's if that's a thing they decided to localize, that was a bad choice. Yeah. That's a bad choice, but assuming that it was not, and I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt on this, uh, because again, I can't make that call, and usually their localizations are not that heavy. Uh, yeah, no. It's just, it but, is a weird thing. <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't really know what to make of that. Make sure you cook the, make sure you fry the meat until it's brown and no longer raw, or... Make sure to cook the rice with water instead of just eating it dry out of the bag. Like, it's just, it's a very simple I mean, simple look, apparently thing. you do have to tell that one girl from Kabuto that. Alright, fair. Fair. Uh, but I think that's it for the, for the like, nitpicks. Except yeah, for... Again, it was, it was very nitpicky. It was yeah. nothing that, it was really nothing that was... Except for the bit about Conalo, because that kid yeah, just needs from to Conolo. just... That like, kid needs please, to put some st- make make some priorities, man. Please give him a personality. Yeah, it it could even be we could figure out one that that it wouldn't be a major change, but just have Mosa Rex be like, "Uh, hey, kid, I still don't trust these these land reuse old people. I would really like you to fight beside them. Uh, why is that, Mosa Rex? Well, because you know how that thing where you're trying to find a wife to come back down and and like inject some diversity into our into our frankly stagnant gene pool. Uh-huh. That doesn't matter if we're all dead. <laughs> you know the Doridon who want to kill all of us? Maybe you should make it so they don't kill all of us so that you can have a home to go back to. It's like, look, buddy, you can't find a wife if they kill everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Look, assuming you survive the apocalypse, uh, I don't want my son to be in to be like a necro romancer, not a necromancer, though that would also be bad. But a necro romancer, also bad, arguably, arguably worse. worse. <laughs> I like how we both came, we got there. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, <laughs> neither one's good. 
Anyway, let's let's move away from that into the stuff we liked and which aren't like terrible, terrible puns about terrible things. I'm very sorry. Okay, so I just love the idea of melt on the internet. Mm. I just I just love him using Google. I love that he hangs out and reads the news and just like searches for stuff that catches his interest. And manages to do all of this fairly efficiently when, like, four months ago, he did not even have the concept of a computer. I'm proud of him, and, like, boomers have no excuse. (laughs) Here for it, yeah. If this 200-year-old social disaster can do it, so can you. Yeah, they don't have computers where he comes from. He's much older. But all I can say is, like, you know that dude falls down wiki holes. Which, like, look, that isn't me casting shade on him. It's easy and fun to do, and a fine way to fill your brain with, like, the half rem- a bunch of half-remembered facts. Like, the one I'm going to share with you, random Wikipedia fact, uh, Casey Kasem, the voice of Cliffjumper on Transformers, uh, Shaggy on Scooby-Doo for a goodly while, and also, you know, Casey Kasem, except you probably won't know Casey Kasem, because I'm old, and you're not dear listener, or maybe you are, I don't know your life. Anyway, he was such a strong vegetarian that for a while, after Scooby-Doo was on a Burger King cup, like, there's a cross-promotion, he's just like, no, you know what? I'm out of Scooby-Doo. I'm not going to be the voice of Shaggy because I am a vegan and I will not be a part of, of something that supports eating meat. They only got him back to play Shaggy basically for the rest of his life, which was not very long at that point, uh, because they said, hey, okay, canonically speaking, Shaggy is vegetarian, and that's official canon. So if you ever want to know, does Shaggy eat meat? The answer is no. Why? Casey Kasem. And that is the kind of thing you find out when you just go down a wiki hole. (laughs) And I feel like... These are the things that, like, Melt needs to know. Like, half-remembered weird facts about, you know, just human society. That's all any of us know. Yeah, honestly, that's very true. Even even the best historian is like, well, (laughs) there's only so much you can fit in your head, man. (laughs) Yeah, like, even the best historian is only going to be an expert in specifically the thing they're a historian in. Yeah, other than that, it's like, ah, uh, I don't know, there was the Middle Ages. My Look, my area of expertise is uh, Western Europe in the build-up to World War One, And, broadly speaking, World War One and its aftermath, but uh, after that, I know basically, like, uh, Hitler <laughs> happened, and a lot of terrible stuff, and it was generally very bad. Like, mm. So, like, I feel like he is well-prepared, and I'm proud of him. I am, too. Okay, so the second this lady walks in the door, I could feel in my guts who she was, because my mom instincts just went from zero to 60. <laughs> Same. And I could just, like, feel it. Mm. Um, also, like, who else would a lady walking into this house be immediately after you tell us the dead are coming back to life? Yeah, but still, like, she she has powerful mom energy. PME. But, like, I adore this really small, subtle callback 
of her mom picking up the box that has the rainbow shell in it. Yeah. And they don't show you the shell. It, you gotta recognize that box. Mm. And it's just like offhandedly saying, he still has this? Implying that she was the one that gave it to him. Which is all the more heartbreaking when you remember like how happy he was when he's pull- he pulls it out and is like holding it. Like, it killed me. Like, one no, hit that, yeah. KO, I was destroyed. That was in episode, like, 17. Yeah, it was a while ago. Like, the details of this show are immaculate. Yeah. Just these really small, subtle callbacks to things that if you're not paying attention, you're gonna miss. Because I didn't realize this until a second watch. Because they have you focusing on Ui. They want you focusing on Ui's reaction to her deceased mother walking in with groceries. But, like, Jesus. Yeah. That's such a, like, dig. It's a deep cut, man. Which is And I'm like, I'm want. so proud of them for, like, do, I don't know if that was, like, improv on her part or what. But that was really good. I mean, I feel like someone would have had to tell her, because unless she's watching the show, <laughs> I don't know I mean, how she... I don't know if it was just a thing where she, like, picked up a random object and was like, my husband keeps all this random junk, and it just happened to be that. I like, honestly... I don't know how intentional all of this was, but it just... The show feels very like clockwork i i feel like they probably would have done it because like to spin off of that one of the things i feel like this show has going for it overall like one of the many things honestly is that i get the impression that Bowie and her dad are a big part of the show for the folks making the show which i mean look that's refreshing because a lot of the time the non-superhero cast is kind of just an afterthought looking at you Zuloja. yeah oh man mario Zuloja. was mario was so good and they just didn't there was the whole dad plot that honestly they could have if they would have put that in earlier it would have worked better yeah but just there's there's just a real sweetness to all those bits with Uwe and her mom it's just, it's really beautiful, and they really sell you on the loss and the power, and yeah, it's so and good. I've gotta hand it to Ui's actress, because that is the most realistic portrayal of my loved one has inexplicably come back from the dead that I've ever seen. Like, when her mom walks in, and, you know, you've got Ko and Melt, like, standing behind her, like, who is this lady? As as you can just see Ui's entire, like, person destroyed. Like, it is the most believable mix of, like, hope and heartache that I've ever seen an actor portray. And it comes from this girl who's playing a secondary character in a show meant for eight-year-olds. <laughs> and she nails it. Yeah, yeah, she does. But I mean, it is heart wrenching. It is. But I mean, you say that, and and, like, I'm not contradicting you, but it it does highlight that one of the reasons we keep coming back to these Toei Tokusatsu Children's Adventure series is because so frequently the people taking part in them 
don't seem to have the thought in their mind that there's anything less worthy or less worth taking seriously about doing acting for a show aimed at eight-year-olds. Which, I mean, look, it's really nice. And okay. Look, I come here week after week to have my heart stomped into the dirt. Mm-hmm. A good, a good Sentai or writer show, they will, they will put you through the ringer, man. Yeah, like, I'm not satisfied until I've gotten that, and that was kind of our roller coaster with Q-Ranger. Mm-hmm. Because it would do it, and then it would just be, like, seven episodes of why. Yeah, why is President Hot Wings here? Just why does he exist? Oh no, it's time for Balance and Naga arc. Ah! Oh no, Champ and Stinger are having feelings at each other. How dare you! And okay, okay. Brace yourselves, everyone. I'm about to get mega dark for just a second. But okay, there's a level of all this where, again, when we see how affected Ui is by her mom's sadly temporary return, I couldn't help but think about how much of Ui's whole, like, everything has has had her character skirting around death they never say that maybe one of the reasons she has to fight with depression or again just sort of this this skirting around death and these sort of self-destructive bits is because her mom died when she was young and it had a powerful effect on her but at the same time like once you once you hear her talk about that a lot of things just slot into place perfectly and it adds another dimension to a character who, frankly, is already very, very well realized. I also noticed it. Like, I I thought about that because I'm like, man, she, you know, her mother died when she was young. So her mother probably died young because her mother doesn't look that old. No. Um, And, like, even the imagery around Ui in both the opening and the ending themes seem to revolve around kind of her depression and self-destruction. And I'm kind of hoping that it's pointing towards her kind of growing into this strength to keep living, realizing she's got all of these people that she loves and who love her, which is kind of what the imagery of her in the ending theme seems to point towards. Mm. And I'm really hoping for that. And I'm also, I'm kind, a thing I'm kind of grateful for that's, it's, it's not very noticeable, you have to kind of, like, think about it, is Ui apparently talked to the team about her mom off screen at some point, because as she's, like, as this woman walks in and she's like, oh my god, is this my mom, Ko is like, wait, didn't your mom, like, die when you were a kid? Yeah. Oh, wow, that's a good point. So she's, like, sat down and had a conversation with everyone about this at some point. Which I think is, is really nice, because she's kind of like, oh, I I have people who will help me cope with these issues. That is really beautiful. I, I'd not noticed that or thought about it, but oh... Man, Ui is just top-tier B-cast, and I just want good things to happen to her. God, yeah, it's it's been so long since we got- I, I want to say since Geki Ranger, honestly, with Miki. Because, uh, like, Miki has the same level of, like, you have to think about a thing mm. to realize how much it affects her. 
because the entire Rio plot and the entire, like, Geki Violet plot affect her. Like, they were big parts of her life. And I really can't think of anyone since then. Like, maybe Shinkenger? Because you've I got, know. like, the... You've got... You've like, got G. And, and he's amazing. And, but you've got, like, the, the other Shibas who, like, died. Yeah. But they're not, like, in the show. Well, uh, yeah, and, and, like, you could make an argument for the Kuroko, but they only kind of get a couple focus episodes. Yeah, and those are mostly the decayed episodes, I think. Yeah, actually, yeah. I mean, not all of them, but, yeah, a lot of them. But, uh, I mean, I know there's the, the kid in Gosager and his dad, and they're they, not as they good as do this. have... They do have, like, very good stories, but it's not on this level. Yeah, like, I'm I'm just scrolling back, and I think these guys might be just the best B-cast of anything there. Because everywhere else, like, the, the one I'm focusing on is uh, GoGo5, where there there is a lady who, like, we're watching over here, and it's like, oh, hey, this cool astronaut lady, she's gonna turn out to be their number six, right? And that, uh, spoiler, doesn't happen. Uh, sadly, but but even she didn't get this kind of love, man. Because I yeah, don't, like, I don't feel like you can call them the proper B plot if they eventually become a part of the team, or are like directly related to the team's origin. Yeah. Because like in Shinkenger, like look, I love I love the old dude who's who's got Takaru's back, but he's like he's not just a dude. He's a dude yeah, well, who's even, a part of this organization. Even him, like, even being part of the organization, like, he doesn't... I don't know anything about his life outside of him, like, taking care of Takeru. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. Where, like, with, with Miki, she built the company that the Geki Rangers kind of, like, work out of. Mm. And she was essentially previously Geki Yellow. But it's... You know who she is outside of, like, when she goes home at night, she's got a daughter and she's got a husband. Aww. And then you kind of realize how she came to build this company when you realize that the core plot of how Rio became this way and how, like, Go turned into a werewolf man for a handful of years also affect her. Because they were her, uh, like, John and Retsu. Hmm. They were the other two members of her three-person Geki Ranger team. Oh, Dip, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's, because it's a very minor plot point. Uh, it's never something that, like, she gets an episode about. It's just things that are mentioned kind of offhand. But there's a there's a part where she's like looking at an old photo of her and Rio and Go, and I'm like, oh, wow, and she's it's the three of them, and she's got like her arms around both of them, and they're all smiling, and I'm like, oh, wow, your entire team fell apart because your partners were idiots, like they were so self absorbed in getting stronger. That they just didn't focus on the team that you were trying to keep together. 
And you somehow built all of this out of losing that and have, like, a husband and a child and this, like, life that you're really proud of. Dang. So, yeah. You don't, like, you never get that kind of emotional story out of the the kid and the dad in Ghost Age. No. Like, you get some really good stories out of them. Definitely. The the episode just about, like, uh, hey, your mom's coming. Lol, nope. Like, that's a very powerful episode, actually. But... Yeah, like, it, that episode is very sweet, but there's never anything that's on this this same level of where, like, you know Ui, like, tried to kill herself. Mm. And is dealing with this kind of grief of losing her mom that she never quite coped with properly because she was a child. Like, it's really rare to get something like this yeah, from yeah. from your non-transforming cast. Yeah. And you know what? Good good on them. Because, dang it, Ui deserves a plot. Yes. And Ui I like... Is, is great, and I'm, I am really glad that they're putting this much effort into her. Yeah, same. Because she, honestly, is one of the best written characters in the show. Yes, she is. And you know, look, better her than Conalo. Yeah. I don't even, that guy doesn't even go here. So we do, at the beginning of 21, get confirmation on your theory of Geysorg being kind of an anti-Juridon weapon that developed a will of its own beyond that and kind of just wants to throw down. Yep. Hashtag three quarters of the way called it. Uh, I do think it's cool that we're tying it to Bamba and Toa's ongoing what happened to our master plotline. Yeah. Uh, with the pretty dang heavy implication that their master is currently Geysorg or controlled by Geysorg. Uh, I'm not 100% sure there. Uh, became Geysorg. But yes. I just I think it's cool that Geysorg is tied to them because our first introduction to Ryu Soldier was the three of them in Strongest Battle. Yeah. As much as that is non-canon to the point where, like, Strongest Battle kind of makes no sense if it were to be canon to this. But it's... I And I don't need it to be canon to no, this. Yeah. I don't want it to be. I just... I think it's interesting that they definitely planned for the three of them to be tied together because that's everyone that's what happened together in strongest battle. Yeah. And look, non-canon, whatever, in the light of all of these developments, it, it still makes me very excited to see what guys going to do when he finally does whatever it is. Cause I mean, guys was pretty great in strongest battle. Yeah, I, just, I feel like it's going to culminate in this kind of very Joe and Barizorg yeah. heartbreak. Which, oh, and I'm looking forward God, to God, I can't wait. Also, just just remembering again that uh, Geysorg was what it took to make Takaharu from Nininger the coolest dude. <laughs> I just... I again. So I hope someone hires him to play a scary villain. He'd be great at it. But yeah, moving on, moving on. Yeah, I, the fact that Tank Joe like took Kurion's point card like actually kind of seriously, and yeah. the first thing he does upon coming back was like, "Hey, do my points still count?" Like, 
that was that was really sweet, and I can see why Tank Joe was like her favorite, even if he was kind of like rude sometimes. Like when he comes back, he's actually really sweet with her. Yeah. And as much as I enjoyed like seeing him get got by because of you know that's catharsis for Ko. Yeah, he he I is mean, awful, but yeah, he's he's a villain. He's evil. But I was really happy for Kurion that, you know, she got her best friend back for a little bit, and he actually does care about her. Yeah, same, same. Like, watching that kind of reframed their their earlier appearances together into a way where, again, this isn't, this isn't textually supported exactly, but it's not unsupported either, so there. But it's, it's now I, I take it as less of Tank Joe being, like, this big old toolbox... Instead, he's kind of a tough love mentor figure or something like that. But but it puts like yeah, you don't get to laugh in in a slightly different context because now it's hey hey remember you're the sidekick when the boss gets here she's not going to be down with you laughing because again I maintain that the boss is going to be a queen sue me yeah but no like just the queen the queen is the most versatile powerful piece on the chessboard exactly. So, like, sidekicks don't get to laugh because it's improper, not because I don't want you to enjoy your work. Just, you don't get to laugh. Like, again, it's an unfalsifiable claim, but Tank Joe as, like, grumpy elder who is nonetheless, like, warm and wants, again, since our headcanon kind of is, is Kureon even a druidon? Shrug? Like, Which, you know, I don't believe she is. And I feel like Tank Joe's, like, the one that dropped onto the planet, like, hey, you weird mushroom people, who wants to go destroy a planet? And, and again, Kurean's just, like, just so like, yo. Endeared. Yeah, just, like, so endeared by how excited Kurean was about going to destroy a planet. So he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll humor the point card thing. But at the same time, like, I'm going to teach you how not to get got when we win. Yeah. Because once your utility is over, <laughs> kid, you're probably going to die if you don't, if you don't make some friends. And, and like, him as, you know, Tank Joe is as, like, kind of gruff mentor actually really kind of warms me to him. Because yeah. Weisel wouldn't do, like... Oh yeah, when the queen arrives, here's how you behave. Wise will just be like, "Hey, what up, queen? This guy's you. Uh, this girl's useful. Uh, do you want me to kill her or what?" <laughs> Wise will what? Sorry, kid. I like you, but uh, I don't need you. Like, sorry, I like you, but that's the queen. Yeah, queen says you gotta die. Tank Joe. I feel like in again in. This is this is pure headcanon. This is pure extrapolation. But in this version, now it's if she said, "Hey, kill the mushroom. We're done with it." Tank Joe would be like, "Your Grace, Your Majesty, Your Highness, Your Imperial Majesty." How about we don't? Because she's actually very useful. And like he would explain why, and that she would keep her head down and not be a pain. And I bet he could probably get the Queen to be like. Yeah, okay, fine, keep the pet, I don't care. Yeah. But Wise will just be like, sorry, bud, bye, and then just launch her into space. But this, again, that's... This is, the, this is the lore bit that I mentioned earlier. Oh, yes. The, the lore drop of the, like, 
you're in the, the village, you're not allowed, don't go out to go eat the outside food. But the elder, like, snuck off for burgers. That was amazing. That was, like, I don't know, that gave me so much with, like, the Ryusoul culture. Because they know about outside things. It's not that they're, like, totally isolated. They know that stuff is out there, but they're just not allowed to. But the elder goes off and does it anyway. And, like, that kind of explains the kebab truck. And how he, like, had that ready and understood that. Mm-hmm. Like, it just, it made all of that made make sense when it's, like, this kind of little offhand comment that's supposed to be this weird joke of her kind of distracting from the seriousness of the plot. Even if I do wish the Elder in his kebab truck would show up again. Right? Like, honestly, I think, I imagine it's one of those things where Toei just doesn't, even consider paying people enough to justify prioritizing being a guest star on a Toei show. Like, I don't actually know that he's out there doing other stuff that, again, pure conjecture, but it feels like he must be because there are so many places where him and his food truck could just show up and exposit or react in interesting ways that he just, they haven't done. He's not there. Yeah. But it was, it was just such a, it's such a small comment that opened up so much about, like, mm. the Ryusoul tribe culture. Yeah, yeah, it's very good. And just, it says a lot, because, yeah, they are clearly very isolationist. Which, you know, understandable. It's cool. There's just a lot of... Ah, I really like the lore of this show. I I usually hate lore. I'm so into it here. It's Because we're not getting, like, a five-minute lore explanation that doesn't mean anything to the larger plot. And also, like, it's all, like, when we get the weird factoids, it's all interesting, and it builds. Like, it feels like there's a story bible somewhere where, uh, was it Yunpei? Yeah, Yamaoka Junpei, sorry, uh, like, wrote down, hey, what are these people like? (laughs) And just, like, made a big old list of it. And they just pepper it through. Why? Because... Why not? Because it, it, it makes all of the Ryusoul people really feel like they're from a separate culture. Yeah. And also, hey, guess what, everyone? Uh, It's good when people from other cultures come in and take part in your culture. And maybe even change things in it. That's a good thing. That's healthy. It's diversity, yeah, I mean, baby. Like, like, back in Zuoger, the the... The humans never felt like a really different culture. No, they never than, did. Than Yamato. It's just all of their food was square for some reason. Like, they, they presented it as if it was this really big, different culture. But there was never any effort to, like, have the human really learn their the culture that they were in now and, like, present the differences. No. They all just kind of, like, existed. Yeah. And we're like, like, Amu just shows up and is like, oh, I'm gonna buy a milkshake. And I'm like, girl, you've been here for five minutes. Do you even know what a milkshake is? Because honestly, that implies a lot of things about the nature of their society that are not obvious. Because I don't know why they invented, uh, like, industrial production of milk. Never mind, uh, like, freezing it. Flavoring it. 
mixing two different kinds of treated milk together to make a milkshake. Like, that, it's, like, the milkshake, just on its own, is an incredibly specific culinary creation that requires an incredibly specific amount of, of technologies to interlock and then someone to say, hey, let's put those together and then spread it around the world to the point where they're ubiquitous. Yeah, it's it's just like on the surface, there is very clearly a Zuman culture and I'm interested in it, but they never really told us anything about it. So it, it just didn't feel different. No. Where here, it very clearly feels like, oh, the Soul culture is very different from normal people cultures. Mm. It's its own thing. And even the Soul people, for as little as we really know about that, it still feels very different. And, they, and it's it's also the thing where the... The land Ryusol people didn't know there was a sea Ryusol people. That's intense! Yeah, like, there was an entire portion of their history that's being, like, rewritten and hidden. Which was also a thing in Zuoger that just was never a thing! Yeah. In this one, though, like, that's actually kind of one of the core things. At least, it seems to be. Like, that's Mosa Rex's whole kind of point. Yeah, it's gonna have to be a plot thread that comes to a culmination at some point. I mean, that's Geysorg. Like, without without knowing that history, Geysorg makes no sense. Which is kind of yeah. fun, because I like the, the whole idea of, oh hey, if you don't know your history, it will come back and bite you in the face. Yeah. Which, again, then ties back to the implications that Bamba has some connections to the Siryu Soul Tribe. Yeah, and there, there's, a, there's a world of very interesting connections that come from their outsider status that, like, sadly just did not happen in Zhuoger. And, like, I don't even dislike Zhuoger. I kind of dislike Zhuoger. It's not... It's not bad it's just aggressively mediocre yeah no yeah because again there's like there's things about zuoger i really love i love amu i love the concept of amu and they just did nothing with her uh i like that Sela's dad is a shark with a mustache though if i if i have to give zuoger one thing they did confirm all of my Aka redhead cannons. Which is which is very good. So I can't I can't discount Zuoger because there it is. they gave me that. But uh coming coming back to Ryu Soldier, uh Crayon's plan of using a combustible gas so that the sparks from, you know, steel clashing would just blow up the Ryu soldiers was brilliant. Yeah. That's a brilliant plan. And I love that Tank Joe not only, like, goes along with it, he gives her credit. He turns to her and is like, hey, your plan? This is working. This was a great idea. Like, Weisel would have taken credit for it. Yes, he really would have. But Tank Joe? Where... Yeah, mm-hmm. Tank Joe respects Koreon. Yeah. I, I get the impression that he, a lot of the walls can come down because, you know, he's dead. But still, like, whatever the reason... He's given her the respect she deserves. And look, 
uh, a combustible gas so that they can't use their primary weapon. It's a pretty good plan. Like, frankly, the degree to which he's really sweet with her made me wonder if, like, all of the dead people were fake at first. Hmm. And were just kind of these, like, idealized versions of the people they were coming back to. But then it wasn't that, and I was fine with that. Yeah. Like, but still, actually, like, that would have been an interesting I'm actually twist. kind of happier, I'm more satisfied mm. that it's not. I think it raises a lot more interesting ideas yes. for them to all be the genuine people. Well, I mean, otherwise the the raptors wouldn't be so insanely powerful. Yeah. But, like, I know we've only been introduced to three proper Druidon, but, like, Tankjo maybe really is the best one. Yeah, which, very surprising. Though I do appreciate that at the end of 22, Weisel does offer his sympathy and support to Koreon while she's grieving. He, he's not very, he's not great at it, but he's trying, and he's like, hey, you know what? You take the time that you need, you can cry, I'm not gonna judge you, I'm not gonna, like, tell you to stop and go back to work. Like, you can have this. Like, for all the Druidon or the bad guys, and very clearly are out here doing evil stuff, they can care about each other, which is sweet. And really, having these sweet, humanizing moments makes their evil stuff seem all the more evil, because you know they have a capacity for good, and instead are like, but what if we destroy this entire planet? Yeah. I mean, look, I'm such a big fan of that sort of thing for exactly that reason. Uh, not to go off on, on a complete tangent again, it's been kind of a tangent episode, sorry folks, um, but that's one of the things I love about uh, the, the latest Star Wars movies, because by having one of the main characters be a stormtrooper who, like, okay, he never, he, he didn't do enough bad stuff where he needs to be redeemed, because Finn's just a good dude, but by showing that Finn is just a good dude, you implicitly say, all these other stormtroopers, they also could have been good dudes. And they ain't. They ain't at all. And that makes them worse. Because when they're just evil for the sake of being evil, okay, they're bad. Get rid of them. But when you have those moments of like, ah, uh, hey, kid, I know you really like that guy. You You take a little bit to grieve again. Like, that's... Again... He's, like you said, he's much worse because you know he could be cool. And, like, again, not not to go back to Zuoger, but the villains in Zuoger, <sighs> like, they were so... They're doing the same thing. It's the exact same thing, basically. Yeah. But they're so bland. Like, the closest you get to a humanizing moment is during the frankly amazing sumo episode when the cube dude and and cube dude sit down and like have tea together and are like watching it and are friendly with each other. It's the best moment of the whole show, really. But like there was never anything that made me feel like anyone cared about anything. I'm like, do y'all even, like, realize that you're destroying a planet? 
does that, like, matter? Because it feels like that's the scale of destruction you want to be doing, but it doesn't seem like you care enough to, like, really cause that level of destruction. Especially since their boss is just, like, yawn, millions of people dying in pain, whatever. Man, Shuoji just could have been so good. It could have, but it just didn't get there. Also, um, I just want to say that all this discussion of the humanity of the Duridon really highlights that Bodie McBoatface really was the worst, and I'm still glad he's dead. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he was awful. Every time you stop and think about him, it's just like, boy, I'm glad they killed him. Because, like, Tank Joe, I'm like, oh, it's kind of, you know, he had to die, you know, he had to get got. He was trying to use volcano powers to blow up Japan. That's, that's not cool. But, like, hey, someone misses him, and I care about that someone. So, you know, aww. Like, she misses him, and then you get this bit of Weisel where he's like, hey... I'm here for you while you grieve. And then you think about, like, Bodie McBoatface, and you're like, wow, he wouldn't have ever been either of these things. Nope, no, he sucks real bad. I'm I'm glad he's gone. I, like, I feel like somewhat, like, a producer was like, hey, write this guy into the show. And there's like, uh, okay. <laughs> but then, like, he's gonna get killed, right? Well, yeah, all the all the Sentai monsters do. Cool. All right. <laughs> Just going to get rid of him. Put the other guy back in, because honestly, Weisel feels like a much more writerly character. Yeah, and I, I, I feel like Weisel is probably more popular with the audience. I mean, who doesn't like a flamboyant villain like that? I mean, Bodie McBoatface, what's he's got? Like... I'm like the only thing he's got going for him is that he's the villain that really, really, really frustrating people are going to like. You know, the people are like, um, everyone knows that you can't kill Godzilla with radioactivity. That's where he gets his power. Yeah, but the guys in the movie don't know that. Why would the guys in the movie know that? Why would they understand how Godzilla works? There aren't Godzilla movies in their world. But, like, he's that guy because he does all those things. I don't have to give you my name. That's stupid. That would be a waste of time. Like, you're not dramatic. You suck. Bye. And then he gets then he gets eaten by a Mosasaur, and it's great. Okay, so I almost put this under bad things. Because I do feel like Shine Raptor and Shadow Raptor are ridiculously overpowered. Especially for pre-halfway upgrades. E- yeah. Yeah. But I also don't care because they're stupid cool. And, like, Shine Raptor is the one that's really overpowered because, like, the city was on fire and she just showed up and everything was reversed. Yeah. And she's a girl. Mm. So I'm just, I'm taking that. Yeah, you know what? I'm like, this is, this is fine. I accept it. No, I'm I'm with you there on a lot of levels, really, um, including but not limited to the stunning revelation that dinosaurs can be girls, and vice versa. I suppose that girls can be dinosaurs, but mostly I just—I mean, that is that is the thing that Double taught us. That's all very women true. Are dinosaurs. <laughs> and in in honor of the tenth anniversary of Common Rider Double, girls can be dinosaurs. Uh, and it's not—I'm not saying that fact exists. Because of of double, we're just highlighting that awareness. 
it's it's just a lesson that Double taught us. Yeah, it's, and it's an important lesson, and one that I at least keep close to my heart. Um, also, I just I like that implicitly, uh, Shine Raptor and Shadow Raptor are powered by, or at least have their powers manifest as connections between people, which is also known as cosmic energy, which is, as you probably know, the strongest force in all the universe. Uh, which means that this show is essentially working on Common Rider Forza rules, and I'm here for it. Yep, 100%. I mean, look, the the whole conceit of the show is all souls functioning together as one, which is basically what Cosmic States was. Yep, that is the power of friendship. Man, Cosmic States, when they, like, took the, the like, what felt like 20 minutes in the movie where everyone's just flipping the switches and thinking like, hey man, Gentro sure is great. Even the series villain. <laughs> and that's what gets him to Cosmic States, and, and he like saves the day. He makes friends with a weapon platform. Kamen Rider Forza is great, y'all. The Forza movie is incredible. That's just a great movie. He's, he's the guy who can befriend uh, a possibly evil floating weapons platform. Why? Because he just, he can. He does the friendship, he does his friendship handshake with the mouse on the computer because he doesn't know how computers work because he's dumb. <laughs> he can't speak English and I don't know why, but that is so charming to me. Because <laughs> so often they're like, like, oh yeah, this guy speaks English and you're like, you're listening, you're like, uh, I mean, yeah, it's English, but uh, it's not great. They don't even bother with that. He's just like, no, he's a bad student. He he coasts through all of his classes just on, what's up, I'm Gentro Kisaragi. Pure charisma. Wisdom and intelligence of six, charisma of 20. Yeah. Man, get him and Bamba in a room. Oh, lord. Like, it'd just be, it'd just be like, I'm, we have to move on because I'm about to start talking about, uh, some Transformers comics that are great. (laughs) Okay, actually, there's, there's this one arc in the comic where the villains are personality ticks, which is to say parasites that feed on people who have big personalities. And they just put like two of the characters from the comic into a room together and it just makes them all explode because there's too much charisma. <laughs> that's just, that's how it ends. It's, it's the best two issues of comics built around a terrible pun that I love. I love that pun. Come on, a personality tick. That's amazing! That's good. Anyway, let's move on, because otherwise I will just keep talking about the haha of that. Though, actually, Bonbo would be a very good Autobot Megatron. Oh my god, the head cannon cat. Like, fan casting is happening in my head. I am turning into that nerd. I am so sorry. Moving on. Okay, so I find the Seto reveal to be interesting. Uh, clearly, I'm putting it in the good section, so I'm not disappointed or against it. But I feel like curious is the most enthusiastic word I can give for it right now. Because I'm sure they can play this in a way that'll be really cool and interesting, and I'm glad that we're giving the character of Ui's father, like, one, something to do, but also that, like, he's real. Like, he is his own character, and Seto is his own character. 
and he isn't some persona that Seto's been playing. Mm. Um, yeah, I was I thought sure. he was going to go that way too, but I was a little worried about that, and I wouldn't. I don't think I would have liked that. No, not not but near as much. I'm just not sure what to make of Seto right now. Yeah, that's that's very fair. Because, like, same hat. It, it could go a lot of ways, and it could still give us some weird, tragic stuff later. But I just, I honestly hope it doesn't, because we, we shouldn't have to deal with that. Because she's, she's had way too many bummers in her life already. Yeah, please don't try and take her dad from her. Yeah, she's, like... Wait, like, I think that's really why I wouldn't have liked it if, like, her dad had been fake and just some persona. Like, yeah. don't take her dad from her. Yeah, that would be, that would be a bummer. Like, okay, he's this weird Ryusoul ghost man who's possessing Ui's dad because, like, he was an archaeologist and dug up the place where he was buried. And that all plays fine. I 100% believe that to be true. But has Ui just not noticed her dad sometimes dressing up like this mysterious ancient figure and sleepwalking out of the house every now and then? Because Seto showed up in episode, like, two, when we first saw Bamba and Toa, yeah. like, training out in a field somewhere. So this has been going on. Like, it does clarify the, the scene in Dime Volcano where he, like, passed out and was possessed by a ghost. Which, okay, thank you for finally clearing that up. Mm. Uh, I, I feel like that was kind of our subtle hint about this. And that's kind of why I felt that he was going to be a separate character, but I just, I feel like I'm currently more invested in the other elements of the plot that are going on. Yeah, no. Like, again, it's, I'm keeping it in the good things, I don't have any negative feelings about it, and I think it has a lot of potential, and could make for some really interesting story, but I'm just not 100% there yet. It's not a thing that I care about more than other stuff that's going on yeah no but hey at least we do know what the deal is and i just appreciate that in in what has become true ryu soldier style it answers a question in a way that leads to other questions in a way that is quietly engaging and i'm here for it yeah i'm just not sure why like seto and the elder are two separate characters yeah no that's yeah it's weird but you know it could could be fun I do like that we get to see, like, Angry Ko again. It's kind of one of my favorite aspects of Ko as a character, that he's, like, just sweet as a puppy. Until you start messing with people's lives, and then he is willing to put himself at some very serious risk to scream in your face for it. Yeah, dude. There's, honestly, there's very little I like more than a hero who is full of righteous anger. Especially when... Like you said, they're just, like, he's a puppy otherwise. He's just a sweet dude. And and it just gives the feeling that there are certain kinds of anger which are inherent to being a kind or good person, which is a thing I very much uh, dig on, because, like, look, there are certain kinds of anger you can only get because you know what being cool looks like. You can't be furious about injustice unless you practice a just life to begin with. And Ko clearly practices a just life. Yeah. it's We've just had a couple of years of these, I don't know, half-hearted feels like a mean way to put it, but just reds that didn't feel quite there 
were, mm. even if I liked them as a character, like, I love Yamato, but he doesn't quite feel like he fits being a red. And, like, we we grew to like Lucky, but he never quite... There were moments where he felt it, but it was never... He never, again, quite fit as a red, and, like, I know that this was kind of the point, but Kairi and Keichiro always felt, like, half a red. Yeah. Like, just, just two halves of a whole red. And it didn't... I love them both. I do. Well, of course. I, yeah. I I adore Keichiro to no end. And I like Kyrie. I don't dislike him. It, look, he of the seven of them, he feels like the least interesting to me. That's uh, look fair. We're like I Sakuya was bad for a while, but at least, you know, he had something going on. Mm. But but like the first thing that happens in this episode, in episode 22, is Ko is presented with the reality that, like, if he just were to let this happen, he could get his master back. He could have Master Red again. Ironically, this is being presented to him by the person that killed him. Yeah. But, like, this is presented to him, and Ko's just like, no, it's not worth it to get Master Red back if it means another person has to die. And I love that. Yeah. And, and I... That feels like a red. That feels like Captain Marvelous. That feels like Akashi. That feels like Bon. Like, that feels like the reds that I love. Yeah. Because it's not even a question for him. Because, like, look, I, I do enjoy a character who can be all, like, Hamlet about things. Ah, uh, to be or not to be. Ah, uh, that, you know, going on these long, oh, I'm just not sure. But, and, like, look, I feel like you can even be a good red that way. But at the same time... Oh, you can. Like, a Boken Red literally has episode, an episode about that. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, like, this dude is centuries old. He's been training under Master Red for a good chunk of that time to do exactly this thing he's doing. So when it comes down to it, he knows what he's about, and he knows what Master Red would want him to do, and he just, it's not even a question. Hey kid, you could have back the guy I killed. How about, no. Just, it's it's really nice. I also love that that culminates in, like, Shine Raptor just showing up and being like, Hey buddy, what's up? You're not dead, so you shouldn't be here. Have some glitter and get out of my face. <laughs> like, even, even Seto's like... It seems weird that she's okay with you, but also she's kind of a weird chick, so whatever. Yeah. Like, she she just seems like a good time, and I her, hope that her and Shadow Raptor keep, like, showing up as characters with voices mm. and get to be part of the weird family now. Agreed. Honestly, I just want to see lots of weird subplots between the Raptors and our heroes. Like, near the end, I'd, I'd like to see everything go weird and cosmic. Especially since, like, we're, we just occasionally have alien princesses roll up into the show. So, why not go weird? They're from, the Druidons are from space. Eventually, but... Either way, I just like that we're dropping in the idea of these giant robot dinosaurs who aren't even, like, just dinosaurs who have fire power or water power, or you put them together, they have lightning power. 
But no, like they're they're just these giant plastic dinosaurs that you can buy for a reasonable price at your local retailer, who are the balance between the living and the dead. Which, I mean, that's just wild and silly, and I love when people integrate the cheap plastic toys into the fabric of the universe. It's like when you find out uh, Daijujin in Zhu Ranger is literally Kami-sama. Like, actual god. Which happens several times. Uh, the rhino is like the kung fu god in Gekki Ranger. Amazing. Which is even funnier when you realize that Geki Chopper, like, trained his whole life to be able to pilot the rhino. And then there's an episode where Miki just, like, shoves him out of the way and is like, no, I'm piloting this because a unicorn kidnapped my daughter. Man, sometimes you say Sentai things and, it, and you just hear them. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, right, Sentai's weird. It's, and, you know, in case y'all didn't know... Miki is my favorite character in Geki Ranger. Uh, like, she's... I might not have known it, I would have intuited it. So, she's the best. I mean, she does sound pretty great, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, also, just bless Asuna getting to, like, shove the entire cast out of the way to just run in and princess catch Ko. Like, our girl is strong, and I love her. Yeah, and look, let's be real... There are a few arms that we as an audience can trust more when it comes to catching someone when they fall. It's true. And, like, I'm, I'm not even, tr like, I know that that could be taken creepy. I don't even mean it like that, but, like, if I was falling from a great height, of all the people in the show, I'd want her to catch me. Because she'd know how to do it. And she clearly does. Yep. Also, I know I talked about the, the onions, but... The whole scene of Ui's mom actually teaching her to cook her recipe was sweet and heartbreaking. And how dare this show make me feel things. That friggin' Sentai over here, committing the worst of crimes. Making us feel feelings. A thousand years dungeon, no trials. Like, Echidna would never stand for this. No, it's true. This show would be up against the wall if Echidna was here. Uh, Echidna, of course, being a character that we're very fond of from... Uh, Q-Ranger. She's great. She is the best, and I love her. Would have appeared uh, more, but something tells me they would have had to pay the guy playing her twice. Yeah. And I don't think- Like, look, I I made the excuses for them, and then they, they made Hot Waz a thing, and now I just get to be mad about it forever. Yeah, no, fair. But speaking of, I love- the scene of Asuna and Master Pink on the steps, and like, I adore that we learn these things about their relationship that, like, Master Pink always tries to kind of joke her way out of a serious situation, and that they kind of share these traits of trying to be lighthearted to keep the others from worrying. And I love that Asuna never questions having to lose her master again, when the trade-off of getting to keep her is that other people will get hurt. It's like, I know Ko has that moment and we talked about it, but it's, even though, like, Master Pink is clearly worried and scared, she's very proud of how seriously Asuna has come to take her role as a Ryu soldier, and 
like, even though I love the, the whole angry co-bit, it hit so much harder in this moment with Asuna. Because, like, even as Asuna comes home from having this conversation and everyone's talking about, like, if we do this, Asuna and Ui are gonna lose their moms. And Asuna's just like, nah, guys, I'm ready for that. This is how it has to be. And you can see that it hurts, and, like, she's having a hard time, but she says to Master Pink, no, we are going to handle the Minosaur, we're the Ryu soldiers now, and that's our duty. That was so good. And, and duty means something in this show. Yeah. Like, again, I hate going back to Zuoger, but, like, what they were doing was essentially their jobs, it was a thing they were hired for. But it never felt like it meant anything. Yeah, not on a spiritual level, anyway. They're just We're like, doing it. This is their duty, and they're willing to make personal sacrifices. They're willing to let go of the things they want for this greater good of protecting all of humanity. And I appreciate that if they're going to throw that word around, it's got the weight behind it. Yeah, absolutely. And, like you said, it's clear that she doesn't like doing it, but a big part of the drama just of duty versus desire, which, like, boy, that's a great dramatic hook, is that, yeah, she does it anyway, though. And I love a thing that touches on and deals with, it's not even that you can't have what you want and it sucks, but it's that the person wanting it has to be the one who gets rid of it, because that's the right thing to do, and that, that is good drama. And also, like, it sucks for her. It sucks so much. But you're also so happy for her, because, hey, she has become a... She was already a Ryu soldier, but if anyone was wondering, hey, is she really a Ryu soldier? Can we really call her one? Blah, 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 blah. You know, the thing that bad people do when they're trying to find a reason that a lady isn't a cool superhero. It's like, yeah, she's a Ryu soldier, but she's a knight. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, and this is just, hey, in case you were wondering, she yeah, she earns this, and no one in this show questions it. Which, like, look, it, it was it was a bit that made me think of Shinkenger, because Shinkenger, being, of course, based on samurai dramas, in you know, a very Super Sentai genre appropriate way, like, it just made me think of that, and um, I like when we can have a show that compares favorably to Shinkenger. Because I really like Shinkenger. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And I, just, and I thought it was really great how they, they parallel that moment by immediately following it with Kurion sacrificing a handful of mooks to get Tankjo back a third time. And, like... The lives of the many and even of her other allies don't really mean anything to her if it gets her what she wants. And it makes the line between our heroes and villains very clear. Because even if we understand and sympathize with Crayon, which I do and I'm sure you also do. I do. Because I know you. Yeah. Like, we know that what she does in sacrificing these mooks is pretty dang evil. Yeah. Because, again, like, I'll be real, I get where Crayon's coming from. I get where everyone in this in these episodes has been like, yeah, I really do want this person to stay in my life. But also, 
that would hurt people, so heck with it, except in Crayon's case. But the thing that just hit me is that in order for the mooks to be able to be killed to bring Tank Joe back, that means they're alive. Like, they're not things that are conjured out of the air. They're not golems. They're living people. Because you have to be yeah. alive to be dead. Yeah, they have physical souls that are removed from them. Yeah. And so, like, that means they have whole lives that they get up to off screen. But Koreon, all the same, she got no problem being like, nope, you're dead now. I throw you in a meat grinder. I want my friend back. Like, wow. <laughs> that is that is acting in a most unsentai fashion. And good call on the, the juxtaposition of Koreon and Asuna's things. Because that's... That's good storytelling, and a great way to let us know, like, hey, even though you may sympathize with where Koreon's going, if you'd be willing to hurt a lot of people to get this thing that you want, even though we all understand why you want it, it's not cool. It's not okay. Yeah, it's bad. It's the bad guy thing to do. Only villains do that. I did think it was very sweet that Toa is the one expressing the worry about the girls losing their moms. Like, it seemed pretty personal the way he reacted. Mm. And specifically when he thinks about Ui losing her actual literal mother. Where, you know, Master Pink is kind of a mom figure, but Toa's like, yeah, Ui's gonna lose her mom. Yeah. Her actual literal mom, who she already lost once. Ooh. And she's not, it, she's not a centuries-old superhero. Yeah, and it circles me back to wondering about how close people in the Ryusoul tribe might be with their parents, because we don't know about parents for any of them. No, no, we do not. And But it, it also it makes me wonder how much being taken from the tribe at a young age seems to have affected Bamba and Toa. Mm -mm. I mean, honestly, the longer the show goes, the more questions I have about those boys and what their upbringing was like, and I hope we can get some answers there soon, because I just, I want to put them in some kind of context. I mean, look, it's good either way, because they're great, but at the same time, I just, I want to know what kinds of cultural thingums they're missing from the Ryusoul tribe since they were taken away so young. But, a, yeah. but like, not too terribly young, at least not for Bamba. Like, when did they leave? Under what circumstances? And I have to say, though, Given that Otohime is, is like, Oto is 120-something, it does occur to me that that means that they must just age at something like a tenth of human speed, which... Which is weird and doesn't really make sense. But it would lend itself very well to communal parenting, because <laughs> as long as they're not having kids very often, which, like, why would you? Yeah, I mean, if you live that long, there's no reason to. Yeah, like, but at the same time, like, you have a communal parenting, and that seems like it would be a very necessary thing in order to have a lot of the the sort of sociopolitical strictures that they have. Like, okay, you can't eat food from outside the tribe. Okay, well, then we better have a pretty diverse food culture inside it, don't you think? Yeah, and... I mean, it it just... A thing I've wondered for a while is if Bamba and Toa's master is 
one of their parents. Mm. I thought for a while it might be, like, both of their parents, and one of them was black and one of them was green. And, I mean, if if they are half-siblings, it maybe it is their shared parent. Yeah, I mean... Who is now in Geysorg, which makes things all the more complicated. Ooh, that, yeah, that's depressing. And it's gonna be amazing when they when they twist yeah, that it's, knife. It's, Toa just has very specific reactions to family-related things. Mm-hmm. That always, like, it always feels very significant. Yeah. Which, you know, I'm I'm okay with that. So uh, that, that walk-in henshin was very good. Oh, yeah. Like, it was well done and well utilized. It was used in the right episode at the right time to be this really strong moment. Yeah, honestly, this show is just amazing at framing big hero henshins. Like props all around. How many amazing henshin sequences have we had in this in just the twenty two episodes of this show? It feels like we've got to have had like one every three episodes. Yeah, no, we've we've had at least like four or five. Yeah. Where they're just super strong. Which honestly, some series don't even get one. Like, look, I, I like Q Ranger. Q Ranger, I I don't remember any great tensions. I just don't. No. Like, I remember some really great, like, walking moments, mm. but never, a re- like, th- that bit where they're walking through the crowd on Earth and they're the crowd's throwing rocks at them and Lucky catches the one that's gonna hit Kotaro. That was a good bit. Like, that was really good, but I don't remember, like, a henshin that was really good. Yeah, no. But this, this show, like, like, Every six episodes tops. Just, hey, what's up? We're gonna blow your mind, y'all. And then they do. It's great. And, like, look, the, the bit of, like, Kanalo tossing one of his catchphrases around, like, oh, you're gonna regret ever fighting us, and Tenkyo's like, who even are you? <laughs> like, that was really funny. Yeah, it was. And I know that the, the joke is, like, Tenkyo died before he got here, so he literally does not know who Kanalo is. But just, like, the kind of pratfall moment where you just get, like, the cicadas and the crow. Yeah. Of Kanalo getting the rug pulled out from under him was, it was just really funny. Yeah, honestly, it is a good thing that the realms of the living and the dead in that moment were so porous. Because dude should have been sent straight to the world of the dead by that remark. That is, that was a deadly rejoinder. But let's be more serious. Um, I will say that I appreciate his slapstickier side, and it's it's a character beat we could use more of from him, preferably outside the context of him harassing some poor lady who just got stuff she's trying to take care of. Like, look, I, he's fine. I know I rag on him a lot, but he's fine. He just stands to do more pratfalls, because if he's not going to have interiority to speak of, like, yeah, do some face plants, dude. Face plants. I just wish that the pratfalls were not in response to him, like, finding out a lady is married. Yeah, yeah. I just... He can just have the pratfalls, and maybe also uh, some bits... Like, okay, here's a character beat they could do. Uh, he discovers he likes food up on the land, and that it's not... And therefore, that it's not necessarily better down where it's wetter, under the sea. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Sorry. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. I planned I that. that 
please don't sue me, Disney. I have no money. Uh, I did really find the final bit of Asuna and Master Pink to be really sweet and heartbreaking, and I love the emphasis that was put on Asuna not being chosen to be a Ryu soldier for technical competence, or even the fact that she's just, like, super strong. But because she had the best capacity to believe in what she's doing and see it through. Yeah, and it was really good. And honestly, I love seeing Asuna's actress go 110% in that moment. And also, like, Sailor Moon, she's rocking it pretty hard, too. It's it's almost a it is almost a shame that she is not a series regular, even as I understand that if she were to stick around and be kind of a constant presence, by this point in the show, I would be like, look, take her to point D with the rest of the scouts. But uh, I'm, I'm reasonably certain that that doesn't happen with this iteration of Usagi, because I, I... Look, I just don't think Toei is going to make a, a really cool North Pole set for... The, the tokusatsu sailor moon i watched a couple episodes it's just that's a weird show man the design is it's one of the shows where i'm like actually high def is bad for some shows <laughs> it's it's very clean but they're in all of these natural environments and they have a camera that really highlights the the kind of dirty complexity of the environments and the contrast just isn't the contrast isn't pleasant like it could be anyway that's that's a very different and very long-winded thing i'm just saying i really like the masters just sort of popping up occasionally as these guides into the next thing because boy i think i would probably hate them if they were here like hey what's up main cast of characters let's talk about other people who are not the main cast of characters all the time. I, mentor figures are very interesting, but uh, they they need to die it's, is the thing, or they need I to leave. Know. There is there is Hibiki. True. Look, if there was a if there was a Super Sentai equivalent of Hibiki, we could talk. I would I would slap those words right back in my mouth. <laughs> I'd have to watch the rest of Kaku Ranger. See, I'm not sure how, like, often their ancestors show up. But I know early on, like, their ancestors do keep kind of showing up and being like, here's how you do a ninja thing. And it's, I mean, it's it's a 90s sentai, so it's very goofy. But, like, it's charming in that way. Yeah. I don't know. Just, it's a good show. And, um... But I just... I just love that of all of Master Pink's students, Asuna was the most noble. Yeah. She was the one who most embodied what being a knight is. And that was what was most important. Like, as long as her heart was in it, and she was fully committed to what her duty would be, the technical skills can all catch up in time. Yeah, I mean, especially since, again, they have multi-century lifespans. You... You can teach swordsmanship and you can teach philosophies, but you kind of don't want to have to teach someone to care and believe and work hard in a way that will stick through like the myriad people they're likely to be over the course of, you know, literal centuries. Like, 
you kind of want someone who's good at that from the off, because if they have to learn it, they might forget it. They might be like me. <laughs> and no one would want to put that kind of power in my hands. And it's just like, she, Master Ping knows that she's got, like, highly technical, comp, like, technically competent people around Asuna. Mm. Like, Melt is right there. Yeah. He can handle the, like, the competency in swordsmanship. As long as Asuna believes in her duty, she can just do a punch and it'll be fine. But she's gotta know that she's gonna punch the right people. Yes. Because if she punches the wrong person, boy, someone is gonna get, again, like, their bones will be reduced to powder. Because, um, you know, pink's strong. Yes. Pink's so very, very strong. Anyway, um, I feel like that's most of our, our commentary on these two episodes. Do we have any, any like, last-minute additions, final thoughts? Um, just, these were, these episodes made me feel things, which is illegal. How dare. So everyone's under arrest now. Mm. No, that's fair. Um, I'm here for the good, heartbreaking mom content. Mm. And the bit at the end where Ui's mom, like, vanishes and is like, oh, yeah, you're doing it right, you really got it, like, y'all. I watched this episode after two weeks of being away from home. And I had some emotions, Aww. which again, illegal. It, yeah, crime. That it's it's a crime. How very dare. So, um, I guess on that one, uh, we'll definitely be back uh, in a couple to catch the next couple episodes of Ryu Soldier when we let them out of prison for again the crime of making us feel feelings. But until then, for Laser Knees and the rest of the Toll Network, I'm Aleph. And don't get kicked by a horse and die.